Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Well, everybody, as you know, I am such a big lover of television. There are so many incredible shows that have come out over the last year, from dramas to docu-series, and today's guest will actually be weighing in on one of these shows, HBO Max's limited series, Station Eleven. The show receives some serious praise from both critics and audiences as it revolves around a mysterious and contagious flu that sweeps the globe and wipes out most of its population in the process. Station Eleven follows the lives of some of the plague's survivors as they work to rebuild a new world, all while trying to preserve the beauty and kindness of the old one. And joining us today to chat about the show is its executive producer, Jessica Rhodes. Jessica has such an impressive and accomplished career in the television industry. In addition to her work on Station Eleven, she also executive produced Jillian Flynn's Amazon Studios' Utopia, season two of the series Dirty John, and HBO's Sharp Objects, which was based on Jillian Flynn's novel and starred Amy Adams. In today's episode, Jessica will be sharing what it was like working on some of these projects and the role an executive producer plays in a show's development and production. And then, of course, we'll be discussing Station Eleven and what it was like for Jessica to work on a show about a pandemic during the COVID-19 pandemic. I am so thrilled for you to hear from Jessica and learn more about her work, so you know what to do. Turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Jessica, I am so excited to have you on. You know, I, I'm such a fan of so much of the work you've sort of overseen as an EP. Uh, I mentioned a lot of it in the intro, but one of my personal favorite projects you've done and worked on is Sharp Objects, and now most recently, Station Eleven. So I'm excited to get into chatting about your career because I feel like for the pandemic, with everything that happened and film and TV, I feel like there was a lot of turbulence in that industry, but you actually experienced a lot of busyness during that time with projects that you were working on. I mean, was it a busy time for you? Would you agree? Uh, honestly, it was the the least I'd been in production um, for the three or four years prior to it. So the, the first six months of the pandemic was the first time I'd been home for dinner in my children's life on weeknights, you know? So that was, uh, there was kind of an ease back into a little bit less, you know, productive, but we had two shows in post that released in June of 2020. And then we had station 11, which was in post from the first two episodes and ramping back up into production. And that was a lot of, um, you know, it, it was pushed. It was not, we didn't go back into production when we anticipated, uh, because of the pandemic. And then, so it was a lot of problem solving and trying to figure out how to get people safely back to set, including, you know, ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I I think from the very beginning as someone, I was actually working in advertising for film at the time and working on projects within that and having to just, you know, 
go completely dark because nothing can get into theaters. Nothing can go into production. I mean, I think slates were just completely shifted and put to a halt too. So I know with everything with pre-production and then post-production, it probably made things really interesting. And I'm excited to talk about Station Eleven, but I guess before we get into that, so an executive producer, I feel like some people may know what it is, some people may not. If you want to give like a masterclass sort of definition, (laughs) introduction into it, I guess the ins and outs of what you typically do each day. There are lots of executive producers who do different things. It's kind of a... Uh, nebulous, or I should say nimble job. Uh, You know, everyone does it a little differently in the way they approach their work, but also lots of shows have multiple executive producers who are kind of serving a very different purpose. Some executive producers are super integral in the putting together of projects, finding books and articles and pairing it with talent, um, selling it. Some producers, some executive producers are a little more integral on the ground uh, during production. Everyone has a different role. Um, I, for years, have been dedicated first and foremost to writers and helping writers achieve their vision. And that you know, is both a development and a production and a post and a market, you know, it's, it's an all encompassing job. So my role as executive producer uh, looks different on every show because different writers need different things from me. So there are definite projects where I'm on set every day. Station 11 was one of those sharp objects you mentioned was one of those. Um, there are other projects where I've actually, you know, been on set a lot, but I spent most of my time in post. Maybe that's where my area of expertise was needed or needed a writer needed to spend more time writing or a writer was directing themselves. So where they really needed me to fill in the gaps was in post. Uh, it's literally different on every show. I consider myself a partner to the showrunner and creative uh, creator. So it always looks like whatever they need on that particular show. Um, But, you know, uh, in the master class sense of backing up and kind of looking at the role on most shows, you have a network and then a studio who is helping facilitate the production and creative, you know, on a show. And then you have the producers and then you have the writers and the directors. And so those producers are helping navigate uh, both directions, both having, making sure that the the shows get what they need and making sure the networks in the studio get what they need out of the show. Sure. And I, I, so for me, um, speaking for myself, I'm sort of stepping into the world of documentary right now. I'm trying to work on um, making a documentary film and it's exciting. Um, But I think within that and like sort of learning more about the ins and the outs of the film industry, I feel like a lot of people tend to step into it knowing I want to be a director, others, I want to be a screenwriter. And, you know, then you have producers as well. And I mean, there's so many different options. But I feel like people either step into it knowing what they want to do, or they step into it thinking they're, they're going to do one thing, and then it ends up completely different. And I know, I believe you went to UCLA and mm-hmm. you know studied film and art. Um, did you know sort of then that producing was going to be the path for you, or was it sort of a, the path like I spoke of before? Well, I think this is a bit of a generational thing, because with the exception of like Entertainment Weekly, like... RIP and, you know, movie line and premiere and some magazines. That's all we had. 
Um, I think you're younger. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. this next generation is coming into uh, the world of entertainment with so much more access because of the, the internet, because of media, because of podcasts where creatives are talking about what they do. So I didn't know what a producer was when I was at UCLA. Like that to me is, so it's always, it's like my favorite, it's, it's genuinely my favorite thing where like a young person is like, I want to do what you do. I'm like, I didn't know what I did do when I was your age, you know? So that's always fun for me. I, my brother is a writer. My brother is a writer director. And so from the time I was, oh God, I don't remember how old we were or he got his VHS, you know, camcorder, but um, I was always helping him make something at home. Uh, and I discovered very early, um, probably age nine or 10 covered in ketchup called blood and like, was like, nope, don't want to be on camera. Like that to me was like, a def- not where I'm comfortable, not where I enjoy storytelling from, but I loved helping my brother and his friends. I loved um, gathering together the things we needed. You know, we did not call them props at the time, you know, whatever it was taking, like I was always, so I, 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 to me being supportive of my brother's creative process was like bar none basic DNA for me. And so when I, um, he went to UCLA first, I followed him down from Northern California and was loving UCLA. And I think I too was like advertising seems interesting and, um, had been in that space And then my brother was um, directing a short film and directing a short film, as I'm sure many people know, is, is literally begging, borrow, dealing, like whatever you can to get what you need. Mm -hmm. And so he asked me to produce it, which literally was not a creative. I mean, it was super creative. It's the reason why I always like call out how creative production is and line producers are, but it wasn't like quote unquote development. Like I wasn't giving my notes or giving thoughts. I just was helping get it made. I was running to Noah's bagels and getting like free bagels from the, you know, sorry, mm-hmm. film crew sets. You were eating day old bagels. You know what I mean? Like getting like the free bagels at the end of the day to film your, that's what everyone felt said their film sets. And like, I was, um, there was at the time it was called Dr. Rostock where you could get like the short ends of, film, like whatever the big films didn't, you know, the ends of all the film roles you could buy. And so we were, we were just kind of pasting it together. So that's what I did. And I loved it. And so my brother had other friends who were directing shorts or doing things. And they were like, do you know anyone organizing? He's like my sister. And so I ended up having the fortune of having different films going to um, little short films, but short films going to Sundance and Aspen, Edinburgh, and being kind of in that world. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And so that's kind of about as I was figuring out, oh, this is a thing. Helping writer directors, helping artists create their thing is is a job. Mm -hmm. And then at that exact time, it's like kind of amazing confluence. Um, I was... (laughs) I was just on a walk with Marty last night. So it's always funny when I have to talk about her. She's so integral. Marty Knoxon is so integral in, in my life because I, um, FX had, was airing the reruns at the time. There were, you know, now I know, like was, was airing Buffy, the vampire mm-hmm. slayer. And it was airing it every single day, 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., two episodes, Monday through Friday. And I had a little like VCR TV. And so I would record both episodes and then watch them. Then that's literally what I loved it. And I, in the credits saw executive producer, Marty Knoxon. 
And Marty's name is an I, not a Y, Marty. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a woman. That's, that's a woman. She's an executive producer on TV. I'll do that. Like that. And it's so funny because I didn't even know she was a writer and I'm not a writer. Like those are, but I just conflated those things. And I hadn't seen that many female producers at the time. This is, you know, there were certainly, I was working as an intern for Kathy Conrad. They existed. Um, But I very quickly then was like, what's an EP? What's an executive producer in television? And I started researching it. And that's when I also discovered that TV is a writer's medium and it's where writers go. And I was like a heat seeking missile. I was like, that's, that's what I'm born to do. So it, it, it was UCLA ish. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was, how do I help writers do what they do? And I kind of scratched that itch really early. Mm-hmm. Well, I I love that story, by the way, too, because it's International Women's Day as we're recording this. And (laughs) what a great story. But yeah, I think as an EP and sort of overseeing and and helping with the planning, you're so integral and all those parts of production, pre, post, you know, everything. Um, I guess with, you know, we were talking about the pandemic before and sort of working on projects within that. I mean, what were some of the challenges you were facing within, I mean, not just Station 11, but just like any of the work you were working on and just getting things up off and running? And then, I mean, did things come to a halt? Like, how did you handle it? With amazing teams. Um, we had Dirty John, the Betty Broderick story, which was season two, had just locked all of our up. So editorially we were done. We had cut all of our episodes, but we still had a lot of posts to do. We still had to mix a few episodes, sound mix a few episodes. We still had, we still had to do color correction. We still had to do a lot of work. And at the same time we had Utopia and Utopia for Amazon, which is Gillian Flynn series had, we had done two sound mixes. We had a lot to go. We had a lot to go. And so it was this really kind of special time because we shut everything down and then we all went, now what? And I was fortunate enough to have Station Eleven was in post-production with those two episodes. So I had the amazing post team there. And so we literally just started getting people together to talk. Like one post-producer was trying to solve a problem on this show. And I'd be like, wait, I just heard something. And so I was like, Huey, will you talk to JB on Dirty John and like Huey and Dirty, and then Gina was over here. And so you were just, everyone was helping each other, which I, I would like to say it's always the case. And it is, except there's such like a, everyone has not enough time, not enough mo- money. And so it's really, you know, you kind of just do your thing. But there was this moment where everyone was like, how do we do it? And so we were all really starting to invent stuff and change stuff. And, you know, I remember we were trying to mix Dirty John and we didn't have um, this really fancy, we weren't as, you know, it wasn't one of these big expensive shows and we didn't have this fancy system that allowed you to remote, you know, be now what we all do all the time, no big deal. We're doing it here. But at the beginning of the pandemic, we weren't really set up for it. But Westworld had used this in post because of all of their resources. And so their team helped our team out. And, you know, we borrowed their thing. Like it was like those kind of moments to me, which it was all scary and it was all nerve wracking. And there was so much going on in the world, but it really brought out everyone's most creative, most amazing communal resources. How do we get these shows, you know, on the air? Um, but it also was really um astounding how much we realized 
systems that were always just what they were commonplace. It is what it is. This is how it works. All of a sudden it didn't work that way. And so people got innovative as they always do. You always solve it in post. Hello. That's what they do. Um, but all of a sudden they were solving brand new problems and, um, it was amazing. Uh, I am not alone in my worship to the post gods. Uh, They are heroes and watching them like roll up their sleeves and be really the first ones because yes, everyone else was trying to get things in production, but the people who were sitting with a show knowing, and that's where, as you were saying, like there wasn't content coming. You had, you had platforms needing their shows. Mm -hmm. And so really where I think you saw like the first line of innovation was post. That's really interesting. I mean, yeah, so much can get solved in an edit. And I think I was very curious. So I guess with station 11, we can jump right into it and discuss it. Um, cause that's what I was trying to figure out when I first saw the trailer for it, I was trying to think like, okay, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Because some people with the pandemic going on, some people thought, oh, pandemic's happening. Let's make pandemic content. Um, but that's interesting to hear that you are already in post with two of the episodes then when, you know, everything sort of rolled around with it. Um, how was it then? Cause you know, I said to you before the call, it was really wild sort of just as an audience member watching it. And I mean, the parallels, whether thematically or just like physically, because it's about a respiratory sort of virus that's, you know, wiping out 99% of the population. Like there's so much similar to what was obviously going on in, in our current world. Um, how was it sort of making it and going through that whole process while the pandemic was going on? Interesting. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, the, 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 the truth is the thing that attracted me to the show from the beginning, and I think is what attracted a lot of people to Emily St. John Mendel's book and that, you know, she wrote years prior, uh, was that the show itself isn't about surviving you know, the show, well, it is, it's about living and what that future looks like. And I think we say a lot that the show represents hope and it does because it's about like, what's the point of living if you're not thriving and being able to enjoy each other and community and love and art and music and, you know, performance and all those things. And so for me, from the, like, this wasn't, this is no shade intent. It's a very different show. Like this isn't walking dead. This isn't like post-apocalyptic survival, you know, action. Like that's not where our show is spending its energy or its screen time. Mm -hmm. It's really saying, okay, this horrible seismic thing happens to the world. And then what, you know, how do people survive it together? How do caretakers keep walking through this space, putting one foot in front of the other. And then later, what does rebuilding look like? Or well, does, what does uh, community look like? Um, and so the, the thing was, I think what made this, making the show in the pandemic so weird is that that's what our real pandemic was, right? Like it'd be different if you were making Walking Dead. Like all of a sudden you're like, there are no zombies. Like we're not... Uh, for the most part, rioting in the streets, trying to get our resources met, da, da, da. This is what no one expected was our pandemic was this weird, slow, what next? Now, what do we do? What's safe? Who, who can we partner with? Who's our pod? You know, remember right. that was like the thing, you found your pod, you figured out how to have community, you had how to, how to have outlets and how to have connection. And, 
And so to that's what we were all experiencing. And that's the thing that making the show felt so meta, you know, because we did, we did know the, yes, the, the episodes we had shot were very pandemic forward. You know, those are the episodes that are like, this is happening and it's scary, but the rest of the show that we had to shoot, we knew was the stuff that all of us needed. We needed to make, we needed to watch, we needed to have in the world because it's literally what we were craving. It was, you know, I think about how many people went and saw the Batman, you know, this weekend because they were dying to get back in the theater. You know, how many people rushed to a live show the moment that felt safe? Like that is what we do. We go into communal spaces to have experiences together. And so both the show being about that, being about a traveling symphony that, you know, goes from some town to town to perform Shakespeare and then has a hoot nanny after with live music, like that people relish their opportunity to see every time they come to town and they're the superstars because you just can't wait to get them again. Um, that all of a sudden had like even deeper meaning than those scripts had when they first were written and those, and the book was first written and they were obviously beautifully received at the time then too, Mm -hmm. but with that added layer, Ooh, we all got it. Like we really got it. Right. And I I love what you said earlier about sort of just like keeping one foot in front of the other, because I, I think for me, one of the things I really liked about the show And, you know, you talked about that with other sort of other post-apocalyptic shows I've seen tend to sort of harp on just the devastation and the negativity surrounding it. Because, yeah, terrible situation everybody's in. But I think it's the fact that what I really liked about Station Eleven is that it focuses on the future. And, yeah, these bad things happened, but look at the growth. And time is such a theme going back and forth between the past and the present. Um, I loved that. And Mm -hmm. I just think, yeah, I I saw like, you know, these themes of grief and trauma, which I mean, haven't we all been able to relate to that in one way or another over the past two years now of this thing almost. And then also though, I mean, the humanity of it all and sort of just community of people working together to build this future. It was really beautiful. And I loved what you said about, um, you know, the traveling symphony. So for anybody who hasn't watched the show yet, I mean, if this conversation doesn't persuade you, (laughs) um, it's on HBO Max, but one of the sort of components of it is that this traveling symphony, you know, tours around putting on these sort of Shakespeare, it's a Shakespearean theater troupe, basically. And I loved that because I wasn't familiar with the book. I, I hadn't read the book. So I was really walking into this unsure of what to expect. And what I loved about that is that it was just, it was sort of playful. And it was once again, sort of that positive element, that humanity. And I think I, I also loved, again, like, you know, we're talking film and television here, like just the whole added message of what art can do for people. It sounds really fancy and a little highfalutin when you, you know what I mean? When you kind of talk about it out of context, but that's how we connect with other people, you know? And I think, yes, am I thrilled as an English major (laughs) that, uh, that someone might, you know, show station 11 in Shakespeare you know, in, in English class one day to a 10th grader. Yeah. 
uh, that makes me really happy because I think we did a beautiful job um, with the, the, the direction and the actor's performance and the scripts, I think really show you what the characters are going, like really help performance make Shakespeare accessible. You know, I think that that's really great, but also some of my favorite music in the show is hip hop or rep or pop. I mean, we have a, an, o, an OMD drop of uh, If You Leave, that is my, maybe my favorite needle drop or, you know what I mean, in the entire mm-hmm. show. And so I think for us, it was really important. And, and Patrick uh, Somerville, the brilliant creator, uh, one of the things we bonded on really early is like, we're like, we don't think pop isn't art, you know, that you can, like, there's no, you're not rating um, music. You're not rating art in terms of like, what is, what is popular, isn't, you know, fancy or isn't, you know, what is it like, what connects us is the song we all get stuck in our head. You know, that is, um, that is as much art as, you know, a, a beautiful painting in a museum. And so I think that's part of the reason that the museum of civilization, you know, strikes a chord, which is, you know, in the series, people who haven't seen it, you know, in the series, uh, a character has made a museum out of all the relics of the past. And so it was as important for us to see a Nintendo Switch in that museum as a Nespresso machine. Thank you very much. Uh, and, you know, other things that are in cell phones. And, you know, so for like, um, there's a line I l- love in in the show where a character kind of said, they're talking about, it's that very, you know, talking about technology and the character very kind of nonchalant and says, oh, I kind of like Instagram. You know, I liked Instagram. And mm-hmm. it was just this, like, I I don't think the show or Patrick's vision or Emily's vision is snobby, you know? So it, we do talk a lot about art and its importance. But what we're really talking about is what are the things that human uh, human beings create to bring us together? Exactly. And I mean, I, I couldn't help but ignore that sort of parallel to sort of what I experienced at least during the pandemic, but I know we all experienced it because I mean, what was the one thing that like helped get us all through entertainment? (laughs) I mean, we were literally boarded up in our homes. We had really nowhere to go it for such a long time and film, television, music, all of that was so critical and and crucial for getting us through it. Um, Or at least that was the case for me, but I, I, I love that sort of aspect. And I love that it was just sort of a part of the story because I just think it, it, sends a greater message overall for what the arts can do, but also within that, like what community can do. And I mean, the performances as well. I was writing down like Kamish Patel as Jeevan, uh, just like you see, talking about humanity and all, you just, you see so much of that goodness in these characters, some of them (laughs) for the most part, Um, you see so much of that goodness um, within them. And I just think it's such a testament to what we saw, you know, over the past two years, there was, yeah, once again, a lot of tragedy, a lot of sadness, but you had people really stepping up and, you know, stepping up to the plate and hustling, whether within their businesses, their work, um, do, doing things for others, the amount of just different charities, organizations that have helped so many people. It's it, it's just, I saw so many parallels within it, I guess is my overall point. And I just thought it was so wonderful and just it was just super interesting. I think also with it being about a pandemic, but it was just super interesting to watch after everything so many of us have all been through. Yeah, it's been really um, 
amazing watching the world receive the show. Obviously, we knew we were making something really special while we were making it um, because it was having the same effect on us as we were making it. We were coming together in the middle of a pandemic to make something. I mean, like it's 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 pretty clear uh, how special it was and and how amazing it was to be able to um, bring these artists together. You know, take them. We had the fortune because we could test and had safe COVID protocols to be able to be together. Yes, we were masked. Yes, we were, but we were together. So we got to have, I mean, I got to be on set when Mackenzie gave that brilliant performance uh, in every single scene I'm talking about, but also in her shape, you know, in the Shakespeare mm-hmm. performance, I got to be there when Danny gave his performance and Clark gave it, you know, and uh, David gave his, and we got to be there when, uh, Nabon Raft and Matilda sang, and then oh, Deborah Cox sang. I mean, so so I was getting live music. I was getting live theater. So it was this funny thing where we would have these conversations on set, even though we were shooting like super cold middle of the night. We'd be like, "Wow, I didn't realize how much I would go to a Shakespeare troupe if they came through town because I was hungry for it myself, you know? So it's this really cool thing that was happening, but I've now really had the pleasure of having people receive the show and everyone from obviously high school friends to agents, you know, it's funny, Hollywood agents aren't uh, usually that like touchy feely. And yet they'll be like the first one, like it, it catches me really off guard every time there's been some lovely calls that are like, I I felt some real things like I need to talk, you know, and I think the show did this Patrick and I Somerville and I talk about it a lot because I think because the show had all the hope and had the feelings of levity and joy that lift you up, it almost makes you feel safe and prepared to travel to the darker places. And I think human nature is compartmentalization. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all good. I keep, you know, we all trudge through. And I think we kind of like tucked our pandemic trauma in a little drawer and closed it because that was like definitely the right thing to do for us. You know, we kind of kept marching. And I, I don't think a show that is just like, here's a story about a pandemic and how horrible a pandemic is and the trauma of a pandemic is actually going to help you get to that little drawer of feels, you know, because you're just going to compartmentalize and board up, board it up, board it up, board it up. But I think because our show had all of the beauty of what this brought, all of the warmth of these characters, all of the things it, it let people access their trauma drawer and kind of go like, it's a little safe to open that and start kind of working through some of that stuff I had in there. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think the show has been cathartic uh, for a lot of people uh, watching it kind of, it allowed them to go through a little bit. And I, again, I think the show would have always been as beautiful as it is. It, it, it is made up of so many artists making incredible creative choices. And also I think it's true that it, it has a certain unfortunate magic after the time we've been through. I mean, I definitely say so too. And I guess, cause that was my other question. Um, you know, we mentioned, obviously this is based on a book. It's an adaptation from that. And it's not the first adaptation you've worked on um, with different projects you've been an EP on. But I guess with that said, is that sort of what you were hoping people would get out of it? Maybe something maybe they missed in the book was sort of that more cathartic experience of, all right. So 
Yeah. The book is so beautiful. The book is so beautiful and it's different in many ways. Uh, I think the book also has the ability to, and, and lots of books I'm sure about objects had this in some respect too. Like you, you can be in the, in the character's mind, the audience is the, the author is telling you a bit more information than we're able to show you in a, in a series. And so we're forced to show it in different ways or tell the story in different ways. Um, and, and so the book and the series are very, are different in a lot of ways. And I think they are really complementary. I was reading the book uh, I, I was reading the book on odd, like audible on my way. To, uh, it was the second time, third time I'd read it, but I was re rereading it on the way to and from set while we were shooting station 11. Um, and I was taken every time with how much I got something different out of the book and then out of the script, they're kind of, they, they're beautiful compliments to each other. Yeah. I mean, I've already added it to my 2022, like sort of list of books that I'm making my way through. Um, so I'm excited to read it, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I think with different mediums, um, you know, you're telling the same story, but you're able to sort of tell it in different ways and maybe hit people in different ways. So yeah, I definitely get that. And I just, like I said, it's such a great show and it's on HBO max, you know, for anybody who wants to go give it a watch and I highly recommend it. Um, but I'm curious too then. So are there any other new projects you're working on? I know you have, you know, productions that you oversee. Um, what's sort of next on your plate? What can you share? We have a, uh, so our company Paysetter has a first look deal at Netflix. So we have a lot of stuff in development at Netflix, which hopefully, uh, will be coming to people soon. We have a series that we love on stars that is we'll be making this fall. And, um, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very excited and eager for, you know, Patrick Somerville and I, and, and his producing partner, David, uh, had a wonderful time collaborating. And so we're looking to do some more together too. Awesome. Well, I, I will definitely be watching it. I can't wait. Um, I think, oh my gosh, I just, I, I love every time I go on a streaming platform and like, I see like at the start of the month when they just like dump a whole bunch of new content. I love it. Cause I will watch it. <laughs> what kind of things do you watch? Oh, well, what did I watch? I just watched a docu-series right now, like a true crime, just because, you know, why not? Who doesn't indulge in true crime? But it was the one on, um, it was just on neighbors and it was just, it was super fascinating. And of course, mm -hmm. marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four. I'm, I, 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 I'm happy, I guess that they're releasing episodes sort of weekly uh, as opposed to just sort of putting them all out. Cause I, I know I'd go through it instantaneously, but that's just been, oh, I'm such a fan of that show and just the performances, the writing it's, I can go on. <laughs> How about you? Is there anything that you've been sort of indulging in? My, it's so funny you say the doc, my, my latest, I've been on since before Christmas, a music documentary kick. Okay. So all over. And, and so someone just recommend my brother just recommended. And so I'm, I feel like I'm late to the party, but I've been really enjoying, um, uh, song exploder. I haven't. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. Um, and they're really bite-sized. They're like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So it's kind of perfect if you're at the end of the day and you don't really have the like full energy to like, you know, invest in a, an hour or, you know, if, if you're like, mm, what do I, I usually have the energy for like a top chef or 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I think that's the, the thing of there's so much TV right now. And I always want to watch something that one of my friends has made. I always want to be able to check out their show, but sometimes at the end of the day, you're so tired. You just are like, what is, what is bite size and yummy. And so for me, a lot of times that that'll take me to like a baking show or again, these like music docs that are just, I think it's a fun, it's like an adjacent field to mine. It's, it's music producing, which is not, you know, something I, I actually know much about, but when you're, they kind of dive into an artist explaining, how they got to that bridge or how they got to that line or how they got to when you want listen to the song come together. And there's something really satisfying in that to me. Yeah. I, I love music documentaries, even just like, I, I always love hearing just how people sort of work on their craft and create what they create. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out. I'm, I hope I'm not blanking, getting the name wrong, but I think it's suspicion that's on Apple TV because uh, Himish Patel, who's in Station Eleven, is in yeah. that, and it's fantastic. And sort of being over in the UK right now, it's really interesting the way they use CCTV and and all of that. Um, and again, sort of if you're into yeah. true crime, it's really interesting. Suspicion. I haven't I, seen it. I think it's Suspicion, but it's it's really wonderful. It, it just dropped like a few weeks ago on Apple TV, and that's been that's been new, and I've been enjoying it. So oh. yeah, it's. So much out there, needless to say, and that's great to hear that you're working on some new projects. Um, but, you know, Jessica, I always love to ask with this being handling it, I conclude with sort of, I guess, with your life, has there been a piece of advice or a lesson that you've learned throughout your career that's really helped you sort of handle your life, your career? You know, it's interesting. Someone said something to me, a, a girlfriend said something to me the other night and I've never heard it said in this way. It's so clean and easy, but I definitely know it's something I've been doing for the past 10 years that someone kind of, I, when I started producing, I was 21 years old. I was 22 years old on my first show. And I was so eager to prove my value to show that I had something to offer that sometimes I would kind of rush to involve myself in the conversation or rush to have the solution or find the solution. And in doing so, you know, you realize you not only don't leave room for other people to solve the problem and to offer their, their different ways of doing it than you might do it, but you also kind of cut off your own ability to learn, you mm -hmm. know? And so I realized I needed to learn from people around me a lot when I was younger. And so I've just kind of just, hold a little bit before jumping into the conversation, jumping into the solution. It, it's a funny thing because if you're a person who people bring problems to, your instinct is to solve them and to actually realize that maybe that's, maybe it's their job to solve their problem, but you're your job to be a sounding board or your job, you know what I mean? To <laughs> um, suggest someone else and, and to kind of take ego out of it to like get the credit. And so a friend of mine just said it the other day and I was like, Ooh, that's it. That's like, I wish someone had just said that to me, which was, she says, I wait 10 seconds to answer a question. Now, 10 seconds is a really long time. I did it with my 10 year old. Cause I was like, Ooh, this is a good advice. It's really long. So I think maybe five seconds or a few seconds, but I think just that idea of take a deep breath. Um, think before you answer. And it sounds really silly to say that, but all 
But sometimes in just the break in the thinking, someone else might have the solution and it's okay to make room for them too, as well, or you build on them. And I think that as people who are out there trying to, you know, whether it's in life or career or whatever it is, if you are a self-starter, your instinct is to self-start and to, to, to show your, you know, kind of value. And I think the most important thing in my career that's probably made me the most successful is just kind of having the stillness and the confidence to take a step back and listen because then, then genuinely you're listening to the problem. You're not just creating a a half, half baked solution. Um, So I think it makes me better at my job and also it allows everyone around me to be better at theirs. And and again, it's the same at home, you know, with family Uh, you find yourself in your instinct is to solve your kids' problems, solve your spouse's problems. Right. But like, if you just take a deep, breath, sometimes they get there themselves. I really like that one. Actually, I haven't heard that yet. And I, I think that's, I think that's great. Cause I, I feel like with career with, like you said, with life, if there's a problem, I feel like a lot of times, or at least that's me, you know, you want to jump, you want to come up with a solution, but then I think you pointed out like making room for other voices and letting other thoughts sort of ruminate. That's really wonderful. Um, Especially like on the career side, when you're trying to solve like a crisis, a problem, whatever it is um, sort of just letting other ideas flow. And then you either build off of that, or maybe you realize like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, my idea wasn't so great or, you know, here's one better. But I, I think it's 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 really great to do that. It's just you know give it give it a give it a minute to to breathe um, or fi- or five seconds specifically. Five but seconds. <laughs> five seconds. No one's ever walked away and been like that person never says anything. No one right. ever thinks that. Right. Well, I love that advice. And again, I, I love so many of the projects you've worked on. So glad we got to talk about Station Eleven. But, um, you know, for everybody who hasn't seen it yet, I'm going to be leaving sort of links and everything in the episode description so people can check it out. Um, But thank you so much for coming on, Jessica. This was so great. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jessica, and I hope also that if you haven't checked out Station Eleven already, that you will now. You can find the show on HBO Max, and if you're interested in seeing what projects Jessica works on next, her social handles are in the episode description below. Thank you to Jessica so much for coming on, and thank you listeners so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. I will see you in two weeks with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.